Work is no longer just about productivity and metrics. It's about people. And when we focus on positivity, communication, belonging, and development, the numbers take care of themselves. This is Work Human Radio, where we talk to authors, researchers, and business leaders about the latest trends making work more human around the world. Here's your host, Mike Wood. Welcome to Work Human Radio. I am your host, Todd Schnick, joined by my friend and colleague, Mike Wood. This is going to be a fun conversation. I've never had the pleasure of meeting our next guest, but I suspect it's going to be an impactful conversation. Yes, howdy, Todd. I am thrilled because I have been at so many conferences and seen you at many conferences, but have yet to meet you. We are talking to Catherine Minshew today. She's the founder of The Muse. She's the author of The New Rules of Work. She's a globetrotter and she gets things done Welcome I to the do program. indeed. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Excited to be here. So for people who don't know what the Muse is, can you give us quick, you know, a quick background of what it is, how you started it? Yeah. So the Muse is a career platform used by about 75 million people annually to research companies and careers. So users come to us to get information about different roles, understand the values, the culture, the employee experience at a lot of different places to work. And then we also have career advice, career coaching, a massive amount of resources. And on the employer side, businesses work with us to really understand what makes them different or special? What makes their engineering roles, their sales roles, all of their roles different from thousands of other companies hiring the same thing? And then how do they tell a really compelling and unique employer story that's going to attract the right people to their roles? Talk about the work that you have to do to maintain that. Because it's one thing to build this amazing collection of resources and all this information, but then once you get it on the shelf, it has to remain current and you have to keep adding new learnings and new material. How do you do that? Absolutely. So when I started the Muse seven years ago, a lot of people said, well, how much really is there to talk about when it comes to career? <laughs> I cannot tell you how many people, and frankly, these were people outside of the HR and talent industry who said, well, you know, you just one and done, right? Write a resume, write a cover letter. That's not true. The world of work is constantly changing. Job seekers have different questions. We need to make sure that everything on the Muse is up to date, that it's trustworthy, and that it's really addressing what's in the minds of job seekers and employers today. You know, we have a tremendous sort of amount of content that we're constantly vetting to make sure that it's up to date. We have a, a network of contributors, people who work in HR and talent, people who are CEOs and executives, um, authors of books, et cetera, and everything is heavily vetted. And luckily, because we have hundreds of employers we work with, we're also able to tap their expertise. And really, I think there's this, um, you know, when it works, it's this beautiful push-pull where employers are really interested in the questions candidates are asking and what they're worried about. Candidates want to know what employers think and both sides of the marketplace come together to help the other. And so whether it's an article about, you know, are emoji appropriate in workplace communications, which frankly, a lot of people want to know about, or if it's an employer talking about their flex policies, how they think about office culture, all of that content information, I think, helps us build a better community. It's really important to us to put trust at the center of it, because I think, you know, your career is personal. When you're a recruiter or a talent professional, there's, it's very important to find people that are not just going to accept the job, but are going to stay and are going to be successful at your organization. And when you're a candidate, I think people really appreciate having the guidance and the community that the Muse provides. Oh, no doubt about it. Why is it called the Muse? <laughs> so I wanted to play with this idea of inspiration and aspiration. 
frankly, I was pretty frustrated with most of the existing job search products when I started the company. I was working in management consulting at McKinsey in New York City. I was thinking about a new job and I went on, I mean, I will not name them here, but all of the big job boards that you've ever heard of. And I typed in a variety of different keywords. And first of all, they all started with this big blank search box. But if you don't know exactly what job title you want, that's a very frustrating place to begin. And then when I would type things in, like my sort of favorite slash least favorite search, I typed in business strategy director because someone had told me maybe that would be a good role for me. I hit enter and I got 5,732 results. And the top one was assistant store manager at a 7-Eleven in Secaucus, New Jersey. And I was like, hmm, doesn't seem like a good fit. And so I think that it's this really interesting opportunity to create a much more engaging kind of context forward experience to help job seekers get the information that they need. I love it. So you turned down the job at 7-Eleven. <laughs> Shockingly, know, despite nice place, my love of those slurpy things <laughs> that come out of the weird <laughs> machines, I don't really want to think about what's in those, but they are delicious. So tragically, yes, I did not go to work at the 7-Eleven in Secaucus. <laughs> yeah, forgive me if I'm wrong, but the Muse also is women-centric. It helps women. So primarily. we were women-centric when I launched the company okay. because it felt to me like most of the existing job search products were targeted towards this stereotypical briefcase-toting, you know, business dude from the 70s or the 80s or whatever. And that to me didn't feel like the reality of the workplace today. And so when I launched the Muse and and going back to the name, there was this slightly, but not maybe overtly feminine implication to we're going to help inspire individuals to find the career that they love. But what we saw pretty quickly, and this is back in 2012, was men were using the site too. One guy wrote in and he was like, I've been an avid user of the Muse for the last three weeks. And I just learned today that you're for women. Can I even still be here? It's like walking into the restroom and wondering, oh no, where are the urinals? And I remember thinking, of course you can still be here. You know, I wanted to create a more diverse and inclusive version of the future of work. But I realized very quickly that the best way to do that was not to target one gender. It was to build the principle of inclusivity into everything that we did and open it up to both. So today, users of the Muse are 55% female. Again, not a huge split, but when you look at other career and job search sites, most of them are 55 plus percent men. So it's 55% female, 48% non-white, 66% under the age of 35. Hmm. So it's this very kind of next gen diverse set. And I love that so many men use the site and Mm -hmm. I love that so many women use the site. And I think ultimately, you know, we're all trying to build a better workplace together. And I think employers love that, that they can get people on the muse who really care about where they work and, you know, want to contribute to something bigger than themselves. So would you say it's strong enough for a man, but pH balance for a woman? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) That was beautiful. I'm crying over here. Mute the mic. Mute the mic. Goodness (laughs) gracious. (laughs) So part of what you help organizations do is build a better candidate experience and obviously then ultimately an employee experience. Talk about how you do that. Talk about what you're seeing in terms of how organizations are executing on those experiences. Absolutely. So first and foremost, I'm a believer that you have to start with your employees. So many companies put five people from HR and leadership in a room and say, what should our employer brand be? What do we want to be known for? But frankly, that's the wrong way to go about it because at the end of the day, you already have a brand and it's what your employees are experiencing day in and day out, how they're talking about you. And so one of the things that we do at The Muse, we love to start our process with this tool called Brand Builder. And what Brand Builder does is it taps hundreds or thousands of employees for feedback, content, and data about what is it like to work there. But it's not a survey or a one to five star scale. In fact, 
I think one to five stars is kind of a mediocre way, frankly, to measure a company culture because what we're more interested in is what sort of people would thrive here? What sort of people might not be happy here? For each individual, what is your experience like? What makes this different from other jobs you've had? And really getting that sort of contextual feedback. So we've had a lot of organizations that put hundreds or thousands of employees through Brand Builder, and they'll get these fascinating insights about how their employees on the ground see their culture. Some people see that their product and engineering teams have a very different experience than their call center or their ops team obviously, but all of a sudden you have employee quotes and data that then form the basis for everything else that you do. On top of that, we build them a profile on the Muse. We can power a company's career sites. We give them all sorts of materials and content, some from the Muse, some from their employees that they can put into the candidate experience. And then we advise them on how do you make sure that when somebody is researching your company, they get the information they need to decide if it's the right fit. When they apply, are you sending them content about your value prop, your culture? As they're going through the process, how are you making sure that they get the right information to ideally have them lean in if they're a great fit. And if they're not a good fit, I think companies should think about how do we treat people respectfully, even if we're not going to hire them? Because there's a little metaphor about hiring is searching for the needle in the haystack, but it turns out the hay are literally your customers. They're next year's hires. They're people that might be advocates or detractors of your product. And so one of the things we're working on right now that I hope maybe I'll be able to reveal a little bit later this year is technology and products that really ensure that even when people aren't getting the job, they still get more information about your company and they feel like they're treated in a sort of respectful and positive way. So they come back, they apply again, or at the very least, they're going out there and, and saying great things about you in the market. That sounds great. I, yeah, I can't tell you how much I was... In 2009, I was laid off and then I was looking for a job. And back then it was, you know, right on the heels of the recession. So I got this overwhelming sense that you would reach out, you'd have an interview and then they, you just get ghosted. ghosted. And I never forgot who those, who those companies were because I'm like, if they're going to treat me like that. Where do they treat their employees and their customers like? Absolutely. And I think, you know, technology has made it so easy to set up notifications, nurture campaigns. One of the ideas I'm fascinated by right now is that, you know, talent in HR is becoming more like marketing. And so I'm really excited to see the industry give HR professionals tools to make sure that no one ever just gets ghosted by a company again, because it's incredibly frustrating and, and it's disrespectful especially mm-hmm. if somebody spent the time to apply or to come in for an interview, not to at least close the loop and let them know they didn't get the job. Yeah. <laughs> it is marketing, all right? And so part of that process is storytelling. And everyone understands that. We all love good stories. Uh, we think we're good at telling stories, but we need some work on that. I suspect a lot of us talk about that. And that's obviously a role that you play as well. And with all the content that you share and create and, and to curate, uh, that's a big part of your work too. So talk more about storytelling. Yeah. I'm a big believer in storytelling because, you know, people will forget stats. They'll forget a bulleted list of your benefits or, you know, reasons to come work for your company. But if you tell them a great story about someone who joined your organization and grew and developed over time, if you interact with or watch a video of, you know, let's say a female backend engineer just geeking out about this great tech she worked on or this project she built, that sort of stuff stays with you. Those very human stories are what we see again and again, set great companies 
apart from their competitors when it comes to recruiting. And so that's why, one, I'm a huge believer in starting with employee stories and really trying to understand outside of the usual suspects that, you know, every company has the people, the recruiting team tap over and over. How can you collect data and information from a broader set of people to identify more of those great stories? Secondly, how can you create a system for categorizing those stories? Because you may have people that have incredible stories, again, of growth and development. You might have people who have working parent stories that are really moving or stories about how one of your benefits or your policies made a meaningful difference in their life. You could have a new grad story, a senior exec story. And I think for talent teams, we're just starting to think about the technology that lets us not only, again, collect these stories, share them in a really scalable way. Video is very powerful, but photo and text can be great too, but also make sure that they're organized and tagged in a way where you know the right story for the right person. And again, I will just kind of reiterate again, it's so helpful when these come from your employees because they do have to be authentic. I think it really hurts companies when they put out stories that uh, give a certain impression, but then they can't deliver on that when people come in because you've just spent so much time and money and effort bringing someone in the door and you're starting off on such a negative foot. So I think, you know, I love that you're saying that because the stories are the things that people remember. And one of the things I've tried to do at Work Human Radio recently, beginning of the year, we started to do the humans of Work Human. I want to introduce some of the people that I work with and there's no agenda. There's no, I'm not pushing out any white paper or anything like that. These are just like, tell me your story. We already talked to Lori D. Oliveira. I screw that up every single time. Lori, I just, cause I just call her Lori. We talked to Lori. She was a single mom, how she got started with work human. And then we just talked to Lynn Levy, who's on my team, who was battling stage three breast cancer at the end of last year. And so, you know, these are real people and you can learn from real people and their stories, no matter you know where yeah. you are. So I want to show people, you know, these are the type of people that work at work human. And those details stick with you. I mean, when I talk about uh, the genesis of the muse, you know, I can tell people that the job search and that career is personal and that it's full of anxiety. Or I can tell them that the first time I negotiated for a raise, I ran into the bathroom and threw up in a toilet afterwards because I was so physically uncomfortable by having to ask for more money. That second one stays with people. The first one is, yeah, yeah, okay, sure, that's true. And I think that, you know, really humanizing people is so powerful in terms of reminding us, you know, to some extent, why we're all here and, and also giving large nebulous things like organizations and companies a much more specific personal human edge. How important is refreshing these stories? How many websites have you gone to where there's stories and there's content there, but it's five years old? Yeah. And w- at what point, I mean, maybe it's a particularly good story, but isn't it, is it important to, I don't know, maybe you can shed yes. some light on how often you need to do that. I guess it depends. But talk about that. I mean, this is an ongoing process, yes? Absolutely. What we see from our data on the Muse is that we often recommend, depending on the pace of change at an organization, that sort of 12 to 24 months is the right cadence. Maybe 18 for the quote unquote average company, although frankly, no company is average. But if your organization is changing rapidly, whether it's through growth, through major market swings, then I would say actually a little bit shorter than that, more in the neighborhood of 12 to 15 months. If it's a very stable organization, not a lot that's changing, I would still say 24 months is about the outside because you're right. Things change. Also, I think stories just don't have the same emotional resonance when it's the same ones over and over. And frankly, we all have people who are joining our organizations, 
even the individuals in the story, their story changes yep. because things have happened to them in the two to five years since you last talked to them. And so I think that it's not a one and done process, but rather how do you build into the fiber of your organization, either ongoing collection of stories or, you know, a 12 to 18 month cadence. I also think that events and uh, specific initiatives within your company can be a great touch point for collecting stories. So we're piloting something right now with the Muse where if a company has a volunteer day or a hack day on the engineering team, or maybe it's just an annual award ceremony where great work is celebrated in front of the organization. How do you use those things as touch points for collecting employee content and stories that, again, help refresh the library of content that you have available to you as a recruiter or a talent professional. So we have a part of our product at WorkHuman that's in the human applications of social recognition is we have a thanks at redemption. So when you get your awards and they, you know, they build up over time, when you actually redeem them, you can go back and share you know, I'm redeeming this for a couple extra nights on my honeymoon or, or whatever. And you can let that person know that this is what they've contributed to. You know, over the years, I don't remember how much money I've gotten through the platform, but I remember what I've gotten. I got a mattress once that I needed and I desperately did not want to spend $1,500 of my own money on a mattress. So thank you, work human gratitude for that. <laughs> Makes um, a big difference. Yeah, yeah. And just, you know, I, I was able to, uh, my wife was super stressed one year. And so I got her like a spa day, you know, it's just, it's good stuff. It's experiences. I think that that's something else that's really powerful is, you know, there's a lot of talk in marketing circles about how consumer trends are moving away from acquiring objects and moving towards spending money on experiences. Mm -hmm. And frankly, I think there's some interesting parallels for talent and HR where, you know, you can give people the lump sum or the this or the that. But if you create a great experience, whether it's a research experience when they're thinking about applying, a candidate experience or an employee experience, that is so powerful. Yeah, and I those, love that. I've talked to the people over at The Motley Fool, and they give, as part of a, uh, a prize that you can win, a month off. You get a month off, and you have to go do something that's on your bucket list. You have to go travel to Peru or something like that. That's what I dream about. Just give oh, me I a month that. off. We do that for people who've been at The Muse for over five years. And then people come back and they share their stories. And it's really cool to, you know, just hear what did people go do? Sometimes it's incredible. The other thing I love that I'm trying to evangelize at more companies is we have a baby at work policy where for infants that are under six months old, their parents can just bring them into the office. So we had a, you know, phenomenal engineer named Joanne who had her son, Nathan, strapped to her chest coding, you know, <laughs> after we obviously also have paid parental leave, but sometimes at the end of, you know, three months or however long someone's out, they still don't want to necessarily put their child in daycare or take more time. And we've just found that for the people that use that, it's this incredible experience. And frankly, it's great to be in the office with a baby. It's amazing. So <laughs> I think that, you know, companies can do a better job of thinking about, yeah, what are those incredible, impactful experiences <laughs> that really make a difference well, in the lives final of employees? On, one final thought on storytelling is if an organization tells me, oh, you just don't have anything to tell a story about, you're doing it wrong. You're missing, <laughs> you're missing something. Well, you know, we're all living our lives, right? right? Things happen. And those are stories, whether you like them or not. I think if you're not participating in the stories you're telling about your brand and your company, other people are doing it for you. Yep. Yep. One final hot seat question before we wrap this conversation. Now, this is your first work human. It is. So having been here for a while and soaking it in, uh, how would you define what is working human to you? Oh my goodness. I think working human to me is being able to bring your whole self to work and being part of an organization that designs 
experiences, processes, and policies with actual living, breathing human people in mind and not robots. And I love feeling like this conference is actually one of the most human events that I've been to in you know the last year. It's really an incredible experience and I'm, I'm excited to come back next year. Well, we're glad that you're here. Catherine, before we let you go, uh, should anyone need to contact you with any questions or learn more about The Muse, uh, where do they go? Absolutely. So for The Muse, you can go to themuse.com, T-H-E-M-U-S-E.com. For me, you can tweet at me at Kmin on Twitter, K-M-I-N, or email me the letter K at themuse.com. And yeah, love fielding questions about talent, HR, the muse, etc. Catherine Minshew, the founder of The Muse. Great to have you. Thanks again for stopping by and joining us. Thank you so much for having me on. The pleasure was indeed ours. If you want to see business leaders, culture keepers, and industry experts come together to share the latest research and ideas for making work more human, you need to be at WorkHuman March 18th through the 21st in Nashville. Visit WorkHuman.com to see the full lineup of speakers and reserve your spot in the number one conference of 2019. 